First thing is know your strengths. At the end of the day, you know, a long-term goal is so far away that you may reach there, you may reach completely somewhere different. But when you think of a true north, don't think of a position in a company. Think of what you fundamentally want to achieve for yourself, professionally and personally, right? Do you want to bring about a change in the social sector in Africa? Or do you want to lead a corporate company, help them generate profit? Or do you want to enable somebody else to do something and achieve their goals, right? So think about a more fundamental thing, what you want to do in the long term. Because if you say, I'm going to be a pilot when you're five-year-old, there's there's a very little chance that you'll actually be a pilot. You know, very few people do that. So think more broadly in what you want to do, right? I was in a similar situation. I didn't have an M7 admit, but I did have admits from Duke and Ross, which I personally rated much higher than Anderson, and they are. They are at least four or five ranks higher. But Anderson threw in a $90,000 scholarship, which on a base of $200,000 of total expense, I thought that was a big amount and it changed my opinion. Welcome to the Crack the MBA show. Our guest today is Aditya Marathe, who graduated from UCLA's Anderson School of Management in 2018. Aditya is currently working as Director HIV Analytics at Gilead Sciences. He has global pharma experiences, including stints at Amgen, Dr. Reddy's, and Novartis. Aditya completed his B.Tech in Electronic Engineering from IIT Kharagpur. At UCLA, Aditya was a Merit Fellowship recipient, President of Strategy and Operations Management Association, and a healthcare career coach. Welcome, Aditya. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Aditya, to begin, can you tell our audience a fun fact about yourself? In my very first month at Anderson, I was identified as the person who was the most socially networked person because I had 3,000 contacts on LinkedIn and we had like a contest in school. They just downloaded everybody's LinkedIn profile and just ranked them in order of who had the most and I was number one. And I was not aware of that. I had a good laugh when my photo was projected on the screen in class. (laughs) That is awesome. That is amazing. So uh, Aditya, before we get into the admissions questions and, you know, talk about your MBA experiences, I would love to hear a little bit about what has driven you to be on the path you've been on. You've seen so much success at a very early age. So if you could talk a little bit about some influences, that'd be great. There were a few foundational things that happened very early on in my life. When I was in school, I realized that I was always very strong at math. And I ended up having a teacher for math who helped me get even stronger at math. And actually, I don't know if this is a coincidence or if this was intentional by my parents, but I always had great math teachers when I was growing up in middle school, high school. And I think that really shaped a lot of my logical reasoning capabilities. And and I have been aware of that strength for my professional life. I think that's helped me a lot. Both my parents have been, you know, great guiding lights for me. They are extremely hardworking, come from middle class, lower middle class families. So they've been very inspirational in how I perceive the world and how I go about doing what I do. And then lastly, my very first job at ZS was also foundational because it showed me a place that I could grow my career in. And at the time, ZS had a few principles that it shared with us. And these are the principles that we believe as a corporate mottos. And these are the values we live by. And I really resonated very well with them. And I've tried to have them always around me. So I think these three things have really put me on the path that I've been. 
amazing. And Aditya, would you remember any of the ideals or those morals which really you would like love to embody? I don't know if they've changed their values now, but it used to be be right, do the right thing, and treat people right. And I think these are different aspects of not just what you do, but how you do it as well. How you do has become more and more important in corporate life these days. And I think they've been very foundational in my career. Aditya, can you share some of your winning habits, you know, that have led to all your successes in various areas, you know, including getting through IIT, scoring the 770 on the GMAT and the rapid career progression you've enjoyed? I think I touched upon this briefly. I said I've been strong in math and I've always had teachers who've kind of helped me stay on track with strength. I love numbers and I've tried to align everything I do around that. And I think that's why when I came across GMAT, you know, half of GMAT was kind of a cakewalk because it was all numbers. But you know, what math also teaches you is the ability to apply logic and reasoning. And what I realized is, especially in GMAT, even the verbal section is actually a logic and reasoning section, not really an English literature section. And I think connecting those dots is something that I love doing, especially on the GMAT side, right? That really helped me. Even at IIT, I think the entrance exam is, is very quant heavy. And so I've always gravitated towards things which are more data driven. Even my career is purely, largely in analytics, which I find strength in. I think I what I love doing is how do I drive a decision using data and information that I have, right? Synthesizing what I know into what needs to be done is something I love doing. I don't think I've heard this perspective on the verbal being construed as you know, all about reasoning and logic. So that's very- It, it is, it is, right? One of the logics is what choices can I eliminate from the four options? And then it comes down to some basic concepts, but that's how I start thinking. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so moving on to admissions. Aditya, can you talk about when you decided to pursue an MBA and why, you know, like was there a moment of epiphany? It was a combination of my immediate friend circle and who I was personally. So my friend circle, very close friends, who started their careers with me were all going, getting their MBAs and moving on and switching jobs. And I was switching jobs, but I didn't have an MBA, but I was doing the work that MBAs typically did in organizations. So that was kind of one thought, is this what I should do just because everybody else is doing it? And then I started looking at what can an MBA offer me and beyond changing a job and MBA is more foundational in helping you build a network in a specific geography or location. It helps you get out of your comfort zone. And I, I was an extremely introverted person with very set ideas and thoughts before my MBA. I think it has added a lot of value in me becoming who I am today. I call myself more of an ambivert now or an extroverted introvert, but I can force myself out of right spot now because I've practiced it over and over again during my MBA and the process of getting the MBA. So those are kind of the, the two main factors driving my overall decision of thinking about getting an MBA. Okay. Did you also consider other geographies outside of the US or were you fairly set on the US? And if the US, why? The two options that I really thought about were doing it in India and then doing it in the US. In India, if I had to go, I would have gone to one of the IIMs. But I thought they were more inclined to fresh graduates. So I kind of ruled that out initially. Speaking of the US, you know, one of the reasons I chose US was my ex-wife. She wanted to also work in the US and see how it is to be in the US. So we kind of planned it out together to explore opportunities here. In the US, I, I did look at a few geographies like the East Coast, the Midwest, and the West Coast. And I actually applied to schools across the landscape while I was considering my MBAs. Understood. And what a 
attracted you to UCLA and were you also considering other schools for the healthcare focus? Yeah, so Duke and Ross were kind of my top choices because of their strong healthcare programs, especially Duke. And I also applied to Wharton and Kellogg, who I also know are very inclined to the healthcare and biotech space. So that was my consideration set. I did get three admits, as you know, from Ross and Duke as well. And Ross and Duke and Anderson are in three very distinct parts of the country, right? So at the end of the day, it all came down to where do I want to live in in the near term after my MBA? Yeah, so that's how I chose my schools. Okay, fair. Uh, And what attracted you to the West Coast? Was it just the good weather or other factors as well? So I had never actually visited the West Coast before. I had only been to the Midwest and maybe New York. So I had no idea what to expect uh, on the West Coast, but you know, my ex-wife at the time was able to move to California. So that was one big factor. And then biotech industry that I, I wanted to target, you know, they're based either in New Jersey, New York area or in California. So, you know, those two are the more obvious choices. We pivoted to California. So that was how the decision was made. Okay. And Aditya, once you decided to apply, right, how did you go about spending time on each component of the application? How long did you spend on the GMAT? You know, and then maybe after that, we can talk about the other aspects of the application, like essays, networking, etc. GMAT for me was a very straightforward approach because I have gone through competitive exams in the past. So I know they're very structured. For the remaining half, it was quant and verbal. So quant was also taken care of because of my underlying strength and verbal, I needed some help. So I did a couple of things. I, I read through the whole Manhattan series for the verbal sections. They had some really nice tips and tricks on how to navigate and what concepts I really needed to know. And then I solved the entire OG. And once I solved the entire OG, obviously I didn't get everything correct. So then I iterated over it and I only looked at those that I got wrong. And then I did it again. So that was the second thing. But the third thing I did is I took a bunch of mock tests I signed up on a couple of websites, including whoever provides the, the guide, and I went through their mock tests. So I did about eight to 10 mock tests over a period of four months. I think all those three tactics is what I tell everybody to focus on. But at the end of the day, it comes down to practice. And once you got the, so I'm guessing you spent about like four months on the test then? Yeah. Okay, great. And once you got the test out of the way, right, how did you work on your applications? You know, if you could share a little bit about your approach to the essays, maybe even share a couple of stories that allowed you to shine in the application process? The way the essays are typically structured is they'll pick a value that's aligned with the school and they'll ask you to talk about why that school, but through those values, at the end of the day, all the essays you know, are the same. They ask you, why do you want to go to that school and how will you contribute to that school? And how will that school help you get to where you need to be? And, and, and really what they want to see is, can you tell a story? Some of the deeper inspirations for me that I used to write my essays were you know, exactly the things I told you, my family, the inspiration I get from my mom and dad, also the values that I learned at my first company of doing the right thing and treating people right. So I tried to use those values to build the stories from the anecdotes that I had over the eight years of my work experience. When it comes to showing leadership and teamwork, right? How did you manage to show that, Aditya? Because, you know, for MBA programs, that's something very important as well. I think this is a great question because what I've learned over time is most people in my circle, again, my circle is people who've gone to a top engineering school, people who've done an MBA or, you know, people who've worked at a few global companies, you know, most people are smart. Everybody largely can solve a problem. The real question is, how do you solve a problem? Or can you get a team of people to solve your problem? 
or how do you drive a set of individuals together with you, right? It's less about what you do. It's more about how you do it. And that's how you really show teamwork and leadership. Because a lot of schools, right, even Anderson, there are three success factors that they want you to highlight are, can you drive change? Can you think fearlessly? Can you share success? So it's all about that team leadership fundamental concept, which I think is critical. And that's where the MBA programs want you to be. And so if you can highlight, you know, some of it that you've already done, that makes your application really strong. And it could be a community experience. So I didn't have any community experience or I didn't have strong community experience, but I had a lot of examples from my work where I had led small and large teams to end goals. So I used those in my essays to bring out those flavors. Is there any particular example that really stands out for you where you were able to drive meaningful change? Maybe if you could share that for our audience so that they can visualize it better. In my last company before my MBA, you know, we were working on a deal to acquire a smaller company and the CEO at the time was very analytical in nature. So he asked the team, can you analytically estimate how much we should bid for this company? Right. And it was really a closed door workshop. So we had like 10 people in a room for almost two weeks, just crunching numbers and trying to come up with something. But really this was India. The, the data in this industry is very weak. So people are not aware of some of the, the concepts that are used globally. So I was able to leverage some of my experience from working at a global firm, bring it in. First of all, explain fundamentally to people, you know, how do you think about acquisition? How do you think about a return on investment? And then there were different people in, in the group who had different strengths. So there was a marketing head, there was a sales head, there was someone who was from finance, there was someone who was from operations. So showing them elements of their work that can be solved analytically and then bringing together and putting that puzzle together and then taking it to the CEO to say, hey, this is what we've done. This is how we've brought strengths from all functional areas. And our recommendation is this because we've done our due diligence and this is what the numbers suggest. I think he really appreciated that. And, and so that's what I'm saying, right? It's, it's less about the number itself, but more about the fact that we worked as a team and we did due diligence. It's the same as singing in a choir. If you're doing a solo karaoke, people will be able to point out your mistakes. But if you're together in a group, you know, when you're singing happy birthday to you in class, even if you don't sing for two seconds, nobody's going to catch that. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Awesome. Thanks, Aditya. And Aditya, I don't know, but do you have any advice for applicants to identify those key anecdotes that can really help them shine in the process? So as I said, right, it's, it's the balance between what and how. That's that's really the key here. In terms of anecdotes, I think this the example that I gave was really inspirational. But think of times when you've actually changed the status quo. Think of times when you've challenged something, right? Think of times when you've brought about a change or told someone to do something different. Because really the essence of what you did was how you got it done, right? So find examples of that in your work in the past to really highlight is what I would say without getting any more specific. Aditya, goals are a really important component of the MBA application process as well, right? Like short-term and long-term goals. So do you have any advice for applicants to identify their true north, you know? So for you, I guess, you know, you were in healthcare and maybe it was a little bit more sorted for you. But for most applicants, that's not necessarily the case as they're starting out. First thing is know your strengths. At the end of the day, you know, a long-term goal is so far away that you may reach there, you may reach completely somewhere different. But when you think of a 
true not don't think of a position in a company think of what you fundamentally want to achieve for yourself professionally and personally right do you want to bring about a change in the social sector in africa or do you want to lead a corporate company help them generate profit or do you want to enable somebody else to do something and achieve their goals right so think about a more fundamental thing what you want to do in the long term because if you say i'm going to be a pilot when you're 5 year old there's there's a very little chance that you'll actually be a pilot you know very few people do that so think more broadly in what you want to do right but when you start thinking of that long term goal have a bigger focus on your short term goal because if you are really set on a long term goal there are multiple ways to get there so evaluate those options and and this is where an mba really fits because an mba gives you that leverage to try if you are working in corporate jobs or wherever you have very little room to play but if you take 2 years out of that time to get an mba it gives you opportunities it forces you to think out of the box and try different things you may end up in the same place like i did but that was my true calling but i tried a, a lot of things during my mba and i think that's what the value of mba is and how you think about your goals aditya were there any weaknesses in your candidacy that you overcame if so can you share them and how did you overcome them a couple of weaknesses that i had first was i had low gpa uh, so even though i went to a top engineering school my gpa was low and so i knew that academically i had to prove that i could shoulder the burden of a rigorous mba program so i i knew my focus on the gmat scores was really high had i gotten a few points lower i don't know if i would have applied for an mba right because it was a weakness that was standing out in my application so focusing on the gmat getting a high score was super critical to me the other thing was i had low community experience compared to a lot of applications that i see i think what was important to me is not to hide that fact i didn't try to so be truthful in your application right when i was asked to talk about experiences i kept pivoting to my social life or my work experience to fill in the gaps that were not fulfilled through that community experience box aditya you were just talking about how you kept pivoting to different elements right so i'm guessing you're also talking about the interview so can you share advice on how candidates can prepare to excel in their mba interview if you have a choice go live in person or do a video don't do a phone call that's that's going to be my first advice right because a lot of things can go wrong on a phone you you don't understand the person's body language you cannot show your body language you can't show your enthusiasm you can't show that you're smiling or that you're confused right we don't know if you want to get an admit i would highly recommend you know being there in person or or doing a video over a phone call sometimes you don't have a choice but if you have a choice do that and just be nice to people right at the end of the day you're talking to a real person you're not talking to a, a bot although they might have the same standard questions they're really trying to know who you are it will help you if you also show the same enthusiasm in knowing who they are and and why they're interested in you so it's about that building that relationship with whoever is interviewing you and be honest be be humble and be truthful in your answers because people can catch it if you are spinning around and not answering the question i think we have a really good sense for the admissions process that you went through and your advice as well so would love to switch gears to ucla anderson now Aditya, what in your view is Anderson's unique identity, right? Like, where does Anderson really shine? I've thought about this a lot, and I am so glad I went to Anderson. And here's the reason: there are very few business schools in the U.S. which are urban. There are, but most of them are not. right so like i don't know about harvard but kellogg is in the suburbs duke is somewhere not in a ma- major metropolitan area you know michigan is a small college town so 
Anderson has a big advantage of being in a mega city. I think LA is one of the biggest, most vibrant cities in the world that I've seen. And I think just being there, being in that vibe, it gives you a fundamentally very different experience. And I'm so glad I did it. But UCLA strength, you know, it's it's number one public school. It has a solid network across the country, but especially in California, right? UCs are foundational to California. And so whether you go to UC Berkeley, UC Anderson, or any other UCs, you know, you're going to have a very similar experience. And that's how they differentiate themselves from the other business schools across the country. They have a very strong healthcare program. I've consistently seen 6 to 10% of the class ends up in healthcare, which is very strong and it has been growing. The healthcare club at Anderson has been extremely strong over years and they have some very strong relationships with some very big pharmaceutical companies. I would definitely say Anderson's career management team has been consistently rated in the top across business schools and I completely attest you know, how hardworking and how good they are in helping people find their career paths. Again, I'll go back to the first point. It's all about being in LA. Okay, super. So yeah, speaking of LA, right? In what ways does the LA location enhance the MBA experience? LA is a big city. So you don't feel like you are in a small place. It gives you access to a lot more people outside of the school. So for example, so LA is very diverse, first of all. It means that people of not just of all nationalities there, but also a lot of industries, right? So there is a higher concentration of entertainment and some of those things, but LA is very diverse. There's a little bit of everything. So you get access to people who are in very random places in their life and career, right? And I think that's really you know super powerful about LA that I really liked a lot. Are there any aspects of the urban presence which enhance the MBA experience? For example, maybe the social life. MBAs are places where you want to build your network. You want to connect with your friends. And and I think if you go to a business school in a smaller town, obviously, you know, people talk about that community and strongly bound community. But I think LA gives you the opportunity to do that, but also explore beyond that, right? So if you are interested in soccer, you can go to watch soccer games. If you're interested in football, if you are a beach person, you can find a group that really loves what you love to do and you can get it done and it's really who you are fundamentally can you find people like you and people who are not like you it's very easy to do in LA so to give another example if LA is probably one of the very few cities in the world where you can go skiing and then jump in the ocean on the same day and I know a group of people who are really into that from my class and they did it like a few times. It's a thing to do if you're in LA. And the other thing, right? MBAs are, there are a lot of parties and being in a big city really lets you immerse yourself into that vibrant nightlife of the city. What are some of the flagship events through the year at Anderson? I can break it down into three different kind of buckets. The first is, you know, career oriented events. So these are like conferences and big days, career events. I think these three buckets are available in all business schools. So for me, the healthcare business conference was one of the biggest conferences that I really loved attending. There is also a tech conference. I'm I'm not able to place the name right now, but but that's a big forum because Anderson is so tightly linked to the tech community in California. You know, that conference is one of the biggest across business schools in the US. So that's on the career side, that's one. The second is just how do they get a mass of people together? So so we have the spring break trip, which our own student community leads to different countries. So I went to Japan, a bunch of people went to Colombia or Israel, and it's like 120 of you going in three bus pulls and traveling around 
around the country, I think it's a super cool experience. I think it's experiential learning, but also bonding with your classmates. One thing that is unique about Anderson is we have these orientation and disorientation parties at the beginning and end of our program. And both of them happen in LA, in Vegas. So a few days before the program, we all drive down to LA, uh, Vegas from LA. We have a blast for three days, come back, go through the program. And then at the end, we do it again. So I think that's a fun experience. And obviously there are parties all the time, right? But the last thing about flagship events is it's the local communities, right? So we have a strong presence of Indian community in Anderson. They always celebrate Diwali and there are a bunch of other cultural events which also get celebrated, right? So I think Diwali celebration is, I would say, one of the flagship events. I think it revolves very strongly and firmly around building community, whether it's professionally or personally. And Anderson has events that are flagship events that help you navigate both. Aditya, you already talked about how students engage outside the classroom, right? Apart from what you talked about, is there anything else maybe that you would want to share? Anderson is located in a city which has multiple industries. We often have opportunities to go on treks to different companies. So some of the cool things that I did is, so I was president of the Strategy and Operations Management Association at Anderson, and we helped our members go on a trip to the port of LA where we went in a bus and we toured around the port and we saw how ships were getting docked and loaded and unloaded and just learned about operations in a very different way, something that we hadn't done. Nobody had done that before. And a couple of the people who went on that trip with me actually ended up working there uh, after their MBA. So I think that was a very interesting experience. We went on um, treks to other companies as well. We went treks of studios because there are so many entertainment studios in LA, right? I think these kind of activities really enhance your perspective and what you want to get out of your career, especially. The other thing about Anderson is there is a place called the Student Village for graduate housing and a lot of international students actually live there during their MBA. And that's a very, again, a tight-knit community which gives you that small town feeling even though you're in a big town, right? So our class was around 370 people, but 150 were from 40 other countries. And so all of them living in the same place and it was a very vibrant experience to just be in that community. For both the years, you were in the Student Village. And yes. housing is easily available in this area. So there was a lottery system. There are tricks to navigate the lottery system, right? If you say that I want to share a room with someone, it's more easy to find. It's easier to find. If you say I want a studio, it's a little harder to find. So, But uh, UCLA, as I said, the, the whole campus and the surrounding area, it feels like a student town. So it feels like a village. And there is a lot of student housing available. International students obviously prefer student housing because it's more organized. It's fully furnished. They don't have to go around looking at crazy list listings and stuff like that so there are options most people don't have problem finding housing right right and the campus is huge i visited a couple of times it is huge the ucla campus yeah it's not just huge it's also up and down the hill yeah it's, it's really pretty as well yeah aditya you talked about the club right where you were the president the strategy association and management association Apart from that, I know you've been involved in other activities as well. So if you could share a little bit about the other activities you were involved in and what kind of events you organized and what the major roles of those activities were. I was mainly part of two clubs. So one is the Strategy and Operations Association. The other one um, was the Healthcare Association. So when it comes to the healthcare space, I was one of the career coaches. So in my second year, I really helped students find their calling in the healthcare and biotech space. And I did a lot of coaching on how do you prepare for a biotech interview? What do you need to know about the industry? Where is the industry? 
industry going? What are the different parts of the industry? Where should you work? What kind of roles and opportunities exist? So I did a lot of that. As a part of the strategy and ops club that I was leading, I actually, because what we are seeing is a lot of jobs these days are becoming more and more data centric. We felt it was extremely valuable to run some analytics workshops and we organized those workshops. We had a core committee. We helped train our members on some, you know, really cool, fancy analytics tools that you can learn in like two days and you can run with it and use it in your projects, in your jobs. Uh, I think people really appreciated that. And I had a great time, you know, running those workshops also. We're going to talk a little bit more about recruiting just like in a couple of minutes. Before that, I also wanted to ask you, what's the biggest challenge that you faced at Anderson? I think I explained that all the international students were staying in this student housing community, right? And then all the the local students were not staying there. So they were staying like spread out in their own, they found their own housing. There was a little bit of a separation kind of created because of this between the American students and the international students. So that was a little bit challenging to navigate at first. It took a lot of us like three to four quarters to really figure out how to break those barriers and how to integrate better with with the local students. So I don't think I did a very good job, but I know who my friends are and I created close bonds with them across both international and the local communities of students. So I think that was a challenge, especially for me. I believe there could be other students who are in a similar position. So, you know, based on the lessons you've learned, what would be some advice that you'd provide on how to navigate that and integrate better with local students? I think having a really deep understanding of the American culture is super important. If you are an introverted person, it's not going to help, right? And I was an introverted person. I still am. That was one of the reasons I went to business school is to get out of my comfort zone. So if you're comfortable getting out of your comfort zone, you'll be fine. It comes down to that conversation between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. If I know some schools have a very high focus on that, right? Can you adapt and change to situations that you face in real life? But talking of culture, right? I think there are some core concepts about the American culture that I think Indians who are coming to the US should know. So for example, right, in India, there is no concept of personal space or personal boundaries. It's getting more prominent, but in the US, it's a really big concept. To give you a very simple example, in India, it's it's sometimes, it's mostly okay. Hey, if I meet a friend, if my friend is looking a little burnt out or tired, it's okay to ask, hey, is everything okay with you? You don't look, you know, well. It's out of concern, right? But in the US, if you say that, people get offended by that statement. I don't care. You shouldn't care how I look, right? I don't want you to ask me that question. For example, right? There is So that concept of personal space is really important. Watch what you say. Stay away from politics unless you know the person really well. You know, don't just talk about your own culture. You know, learn a little more about sports because people love sports. People love to talk about football, college football. So if you are going to spend time in America, you know, make sure you are adaptable to the people who live there. It's a very diverse country and a very diverse community, but it has its own ways, right? So that's something that the faster you get there, the easier it will be for you to integrate. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm just imagining somebody moving to India and not following cricket. That'd be hard, especially around, let's say, the World Cup like we just had recently. And uh, okay, so switching gears to academics. Aditya, can you share the academic highlights for you during your MBA? I think academically, the Anderson program is very strong. They get professors from all over the world who are experts in their fields. And I can name several professors right now. I love my economics professors. I don't know if they're still you know, working at Anderson. Please, please name them. Students. So Roman Baxier is one of the professors who taught uh, microeconomics. 
and then there was another guy who taught global macroeconomics which i fundamentally i love that topic i had never seen how all these pieces come together and drive e- economies of the world together but more specifically i did a course on negotiations which i thought was just game changing for me personally so there are two courses offered one is negotiation behavior and one is negotiation analysis so i did the analytics based course which, which was driven by steven lipman that was his last course he retired after that course but i i think everybody should take one of those two or both of those negotiations courses irrespective of where they're offered i think there are some great values you can drive from them i also took a course because i was focused on biotech i did a course which was called entrepreneurship in biotech and i'll talk a little more in some of your subsequent questions that was taught by a person named marvin liberman i thought that was a beautiful course that i have used concepts learned in that course i even use them today they are they were so foundational to my place in the biotech industry i did another course called entrepreneurship and valuations which taught me about how startups work how do you go about valuing a startup or a company in general and i think importantly as you go from the first year to the second year the first year is all foundational right accounting finance marketing the second year is when those pieces start coming together you do microeconomics in first year and then macroeconomics in second year you do finance in first year and corporate finance in second year and that's when you start tying things together you do marketing in first year but you do pricing in the second year right so it all comes together really well and this course on entrepreneurship and venture initiation it's fundamental because it brings in elements of marketing analytics statistics strategy finance accounting all of them in one place so i really enjoyed doing that course apart from the professors you named are there are there any other star professors in really popular courses that you think prospective students can look up i think there are a bunch of really amazing professors so cassie homes is one of the star professors at anderson she is a professor of marketing and she's written several books and blogs and i think she has a youtube channel as well probably she talks about the value of happiness in life and she she was fun to i i did one course with her lori santikian is a professor of finance and strategy i highly recommend you know taking a course under her she really loves to explain strategy to students with some real world examples and she has great experience in the corporate world that she's able to bring also the current dean of anderson i think his name is antonio i forget his last name but he was our corporate finance professor now if he is taking a course i would highly recommend you know attending that class there are some others like terry kramer and others who are more on the tech side i wasn't so inclined so you know i won't be able to talk more about those professors but yes i think a lot of these people have great experience in the industry and it's just fun to be in their class aditya how would you recommend students structure their healthcare journey what courses experiential opportunities extracurricular activities can they benefit from So the Healthcare Business Association is is really good. It's one of the best that I've ever seen. They have a very strong year on year succession of you know knowledge and programs. They host the Healthcare Business Conference every year, which is amazing in just talking through like the cutting edge of biotech, bringing in experts from a bunch of different industries talk about it. I think that's just being part of that club is really good. and then in terms of courses right i said i took the entrepreneurship and venture course which was not biotech but i think it was fundamental 
to a next course, which was called Entrepreneurship in Biotech. Now, this specific course was led by Professor Marvin Lieberman. Half the class was MBAs and half the class was PhDs from UCLA. It really brought people from science, engineering, and management together to solve problems and take the course together. So we had people in my learning group who were PhDs in biotech, not biotech, just like biological sciences and MBAs. And it was fun to work together on projects. But there are other programs like MedTech Innovation, etc., which students can take. I think the value of Anderson also, I forgot to mention, really comes from the university itself. So UCLA is probably one of the top universities in the world. And I think UCLA is a much, much bigger brand than Anderson. And there are so many resources available in the larger university, in the campus. There are labs you can go to. There are workshops you can attend. If you want to make a 3D print, you can walk into a, a room and you can get a 3D print created. There are courses you can take outside of Anderson, you know, which are led by some really amazing professors. There's this one professor in the School of Astrophysics that I really wanted to take a course on, you know, black holes, but her course was always sold out. So I couldn't join that. But that's, sorry to digress from healthcare, but UCLA is number one medical school amongst public schools in the country and the hospital at UCLA is one of the top in the country as well. And I think integration of UCLA health system with Healthcare focused MBA program is, is really, you know, it drives a lot of value. We often get opportunities or got opportunities to meet with leaders from UCLA Health who would come in and talk to us about cutting edge healthcare science, research and management challenges. And I think that added a lot of value to my two years at Anderson. And you talked about the Healthcare Business Association, Aditya. Does that also help with job opportunities? Yeah, so everything you do at Anderson, you know, think of it, it's going to help you with jobs. The Healthcare Business Association, first of all, it's a group of people who are interested in the same shared goals. So people who graduate before you, they are your mentors. They're going to be at companies you potentially want to work at. They will bring in alums who will come and speak at these conferences, who you will be able to network with. They'll give you access to companies through treks and visitations, through talks, um, bringing in companies to recruit on the campus. You know, all of these are run by this business association. Even though there is a career program, they work together to help people interested in healthcare to get those jobs. And as I said, I was a career coach. So that was also a program run by the business association to how do you coach your members to find the jobs that they want in this industry. For international students, what kind of healthcare or pharma employers provide opportunities, specifically given the visa considerations, right? And in what kind of roles? A bunch of great companies are still hiring international students. Some companies are very cautious and some companies don't. So I think you just, through networking, you know, you just learn which companies are hiring international students. Opportunities are very, very wide. So a lot of pharma companies hire for these leadership programs or rotation programs, which give you a broad experience in a very short period of time. Amgen, Genentech, these are the top two biggest pharma companies on the West Coast and they hire international students. There are a bunch of smaller companies which also do. And then there are some companies on the East Coast, but they don't have as strong ties with Anderson. So what I've seen people do in this industry, I'm not talking about MBAs, but in this industry is Get a job where you can who's going to sponsor your first visa. Because once you get that first visa, a lot more companies are ready to transfer your visa. So it really is the stepping stone that you need to think about. Because once you get there, the next steps are you have a much bigger funnel of jobs to access and a lot more companies that you can go to. 
what does it take to get a job in one of these rotation opportunities that you talked about, right? Like, for example, the rotation program at Amgen. Can you give our audience a sense for that? So Amgen's rotation program is fairly similar to what other companies have. It's a commercial rotation program. It's typically two to four years, depending on the company. You will spend a year in sales as a sales rep. You will spend a year in marketing or you will spend a year in patient access or you'll spend a year in commercial analytics, you know, a bunch of roles within the commercial org. At Amgen, I spent my first year selling drugs in Vegas. I was selling legitimate pharmaceutical drugs in Vegas. That was part of my territory, but that's a fun icebreaker I use for people. I learned a lot from that experience. Then I pivoted into marketing for one of their top products. And I learned a lot about how marketing is done. What helps people get into these programs? They are not looking for people who have this experience, right? I just happen to have similar experience, but half the class who joined that program, the cohort, half of them didn't have any healthcare experience. What they're looking in general is, do you have a link to healthcare? Do you strongly feel about the healthcare industry? Do you strongly feel about solving the world's healthcare problems? Do you strongly feel about patients' quality of life? Can you bring about stories? And I think pretty much every single person has a healthcare story that they can talk through from their own life, family, close friends. I think it's just a fact of life, right? So how do you synthesize that experience into a story that you can use to express your interest in the company that you're targeting? They find it easier to get jobs in these companies. How does the career center support students, right? Specifically international students in securing opportunities? That's a great question. So we had a dedicated advisor for international students and a dedicated team of people to help international students navigate, right? So our, we got a head start on recruiting. So they reached out to us even before the program and gave us, you know, a bunch of material to go through, a bunch of trainings. They help us navigate to companies that are open to hiring international students. They also train us on how to have a conversation with a company who is not hiring international students and how can you help build that bond and think about an opportunity that might exist? How can you create that opportunity? Culture is a big aspect of recruiting, right? It plays into it. So what are some elements of the cultural uh, nuances that you need to keep in mind as you go to your interviews, as you do your networking with people? I think that team really helps us do that really, really well. The other thing that I've seen, and this comes up a lot, I think in all business schools is American people are very open, right? And Indians are very reserved in general. I'm not talking of exceptions here. American, they will go and talk about themselves. They are able to sell themselves to a recruiter more easily. I think Indians are very reserved. So we're like, how can I say that? You know, it seems like I'm boasting about myself, but sometimes you have to do it, right? So you have to be brave enough to talk about your strengths openly to someone who's interested in you. Because at the end of the day, you need that job. The career team also helps you drive your stories. How do you bring out those stories and how do you sell yourself to a potential company? I, I think it adds a lot of value to how you recruit. Okay. And Aditya, you talked about the fact that you've become an ambivert, right? From being an introvert. And that's really helped you adapt in the US corporate environment. Do you have any advice for anybody who may be in a similar situation, who's an introvert, is kind of worried how they can thrive in such a such an environment? I think it's okay to be introvert. You know, I love my space. I love my personal time. It really comes down to what kind of industry you're working in. And you can start aligning industries to your work style. So if you are a complete extrovert, you may thrive in a consulting environment. If you are an introvert, you will hate that. It will just take away your energy. You will not enjoy that. If you are in tech, you know, you can be in an individual contributor role and you can keep growing. 
But if you want to be a people manager, if you want to be a people leader, you'll have to break that shell. So in my industry, growth means you lead teams. Growth means you lead people. Growth means you solve problems together cross-functionally. You can't do all those things if you're an introverted person. So Anderson MBA was a really good stepping stone for me to get out of my comfort zone. Start interacting with people. You don't have to go to a party of 50 people. I feel lost if I do that. Start identifying clusters. Can you have a conversation which is meaningful with one individual, with two people, with three people? My ideal group size is three people. As soon as I hit that mark, I stop. I get out of there, right? So know your limits, but break that. Try to push yourself a little bit. What I also found, so I changed my job from Amgen. I now work at Gilead. This is my first job change after the MBA. So my second job. I started this job during the pandemic. So I started in May, 2020. The first two years were challenging for me because as you grow in your organization or and you change jobs, nobody's going to handhold you like they did in your first job. Nobody's going to give you, hey, here are the 10 documents you need to read and, and this is it. No, you have to figure things out yourself. How do you figure it out? How do you reach out to people and ask questions without being an annoyance in their in their work, right? I think it's critical. So I struggled a little bit in the first couple of years because I didn't have access to people I had to send messages, emails, set up meetings because everybody was remote. Earlier this year, we started going into office and I just found tremendous value in just walking around the floor, saying hi to people I had never met, just asking people out for a coffee chat in the pantry or going for lunches with my team. And my manager, she felt that I was being more productive just because I was being more social and I actually also got promoted. So I think it's less about what you actually do. It's more about how you do things. This is really critical in corporate America, like how you navigate the politics, how you navigate the stressful situations. How do you keep your cool and get things done because things have to get done. If somebody is falling behind, how do you pull them up? You need to be an ambivert to get this things done. I think socially introverted people might struggle in these kind of environments. Fair enough. And congratulations on the promotion. That's Thank super you. exciting. Aditya, just going back to something you said a little bit earlier, you talked about going to Japan, right? For one of your spring break trips. Did you participate in any other experiential opportunities? If so, perhaps you could share those experiences as well. So at Anderson, like any other business school, you have to do a thesis or a project. I did an applied management research as a part of my program with a group of four other individuals. We worked for a country called Benin in Africa, and they wanted to set up a smart city over there. So we worked with their government agency who was setting up that smart city infrastructure to give them a strategy of what you could expect if you go this route. What are the innovators in this space? How have other cities done this? How do you attract talent? How do you go about retaining and growing that talent in your country to really stand out within your neighboring countries? So that was the one project that I worked on. The other thing that I did was I participated in this venture competition called the NAP Venture Competition, which is one of the biggest venture competitions across business schools in the US. And my team actually won the first prize. It's unfortunate that our team, you know, did not continue with the venture except two people. Uh, I think that was one of the most fun, challenging and rewarding experiences at Anderson for me. Was that like a healthcare kind of competition? No, so NAP Venture Competition is, is an open competition. It's not related to healthcare. Anybody can form a team. You have to have one Anderson MBA in the team because it's sponsored by the Anderson program. If you have a business idea that you want to take further, you submit your business case, you make a presentation. It's kind of like Shark Tank, but you don't really need to have a prototype. Even if you don't win, if you have a great idea, you will find people and VCs who will work with you. 
very cool and what was the idea all about that you guys had so we were trying to launch a personalized cosmetic company so our specific target was anti-aging and if you go to market right now i don't know who uses those creams but a lot of people do you go to a shop you pick up a known brand of anti-aging cream depending on different you know things that are available they all come at different price points depending on the brand name, they may or may not work for every individual. So I think I referenced a course I did at MBA, which was entrepreneurship in biotech, where I said half the team was PhDs and half the team were MBAs. So one of the people who was part of my team, now she's one of my best friends. She was doing her PhD at the time at UCLA. And she said, I have this other PhD friend, you know, she really wants to do something in this space. Do you want to form a team and participate in this competition? So our product was personalized anti-aging cream, which means we'll send you a test kit. You put a patch on your skin, send it back to us with your skin cells, and we will test it and we will determine what the right component should be in your personalized anti-aging cream. So that was our model. And I think the cosmetic industry is very lucrative to VCs because of very high high margins and we had a very tight story to tell and the research was also very fundamental to what we were trying to do and we had unique intellectual property that we could commercialize so i think all those points worked in our favor very cool so it sounds like a wonderful experience and just like stepping back to the other experience you were talking about right with the smart cities was there an in-person component to it as well like were you guys in africa we wanted to go but the country didn't have funds to sponsor us and uh, they were also so busy that they didn't have time to host us, even if we went there on our own fund. So unfortunately, we didn't get to go there, but we would have loved to go. However, several of my other classmates who did their programs, a lot of them traveled. Either they worked with local companies or they went you know, abroad to work on projects that were more international. I think about 40% of the class worked on an international project. So a lot of people traveled. I, I think everybody had a great experience through that. And one question that arises given the urban location of Anderson is that can students pursue part-time work or internship opportunities while the semester is underway? Yes, absolutely. And, and a lot of people did that. It's very easy to find part-time opportunities. They may or may not pay you. So don't do it for the money, but do it for the experience. And it becomes especially important if you're trying to pivot into something completely different, right? It becomes so much easier if you are doing something to show that you really want to go in that on that path or in that industry. A lot of students did that. I think just one thing I will call out about part-time, the, if you're on a visa in the US, it limits what kind of things you can do. As an internship, you can only do things which are connected to your course of work. For example, in Australia, you can go work in a grocery store. You can't do that in the US. So you are very limited in what you can do. But a lot of people did work in part-time internships to align their career goals. Aditya, can you give an example of something you've seen an international student doing that also perhaps helped them later on in their job search? You know, tech is really big in, in California and a lot of people came to the business school without tech background. So, right, without everybody wants to be either in consulting or finance or product management. But at Anderson, that focus is much heavier on the product management side. But not everybody has experience in tech or 
technical product management. So a bunch of my classmates actually looked out for small startups in the LA region in Santa Monica area who were willing to hire interns because obviously they were startups had limited funds. So any help they could get, they could find people. So people actually did sign up for those startups, work for them for three, four months at a stretch, did small projects, got that understanding of how startups work how product development happens in a small company and then use that experience to get internships at tech companies and then use that to get full-time opportunities on graduation. So uh, yeah, a lot of people in my class did that. I didn't, but it's a very powerful way to shift your career. Yeah. So are these people working during the week? Like how are they managing their academic workload to do this? Unfortunately, you only have so many things you can do in a day, right? So it all comes down to a balance that you have to build. Knowing your goals, what you really want to get out of an MBA program is important. And I'm not talking about goals you write in your essay. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about really what are your goals? Ask yourself. Once you know what you want to get out of the MBA program, that's when you can spend time. So if you are doing an internship, you can expect to spend 20 hours a week at that company, which is a lot of time, right? After you do your classes, you do your homework, which is a lot. After you do your extra, you know, those thesis projects, AMRs and all of those things. After you attend the career recruiting events in the evenings and social dinners, you are left with like maybe 20 hours in a week. And if you do an internship, you don't have a social life. If you have social life, you can't do internships. So you have to pick your battles. You can't do everything, but you can do a few things very well. And Aditya, if you could go back in time, what's one thing you would do differently through your Anderson journey? If I could go back in time, I would probably get an MBA much sooner in, in my career. So the average experience that my class had was four years, four to five years. I came in with eight years of experience. I got a lot of value from it, but there were also people who were much younger than me. So I think three to five years is probably the ideal time to do an MBA if you really, that's how you want to build your career. You feel that you have a lot more room to wiggle the sooner you do it. And I think the financial gains are also much higher the sooner you do your MBA. One thing that the MBA program does is the vast majority of people will be hired at the same compensation after your MBA. So it doesn't matter if you had two years of experience or 12 years of experience, right? They're all going to come out and make the same kind of money in a very small range. There'll be outliers, but so financially, you know, the sooner you do it, the better it is. Aditya, as we're coming close to the completion of the interview, right? would love to know, are you still active with the UCLA community as an alum? If so, in what capacity? How does the community engage? I am not super active with the alum network, especially with the full-time MBA program. However, Anderson has three different MBA programs. So one is the full-time program, then they have the part-time program and the the fully employed program. And there is a really big community of those people along with the core MBA program. So in the Bay Area, especially, right, because tech is so big here, a lot of people do their part-time MBAs at Berkeley or Anderson. So that, that's a big community. So every time we go for an event, an alumni event, there is just a massive representation of people from all walks of life. So I try to stay connected with those people. From my own class, I have a small group of friends. As I said, I'm an introvert. I only need three people. I know who those three people are. I'm very happy with that. But, you know, I have friends across the country who went to school with me. I have people across multiple companies who I know some of them will respond if I send them a message. If I'm in their city, I will meet them. My company doesn't have a campus recruiting program, so I don't get involved in that for the business school. When I was at Amgen, we had a campus recruiting program, so I was very heavily involved. And I think as you grow in your career, you just get busier in life. And then all of these things start becoming more peripheral to who you are. 
but it'll stay with me right because my closest friends are all very close to me aditya do you have any final words of wisdom for prospective applicants or incoming mba students as they're looking to pursue their mba think deeply why you really want an mba and if an mba is going to help you with your goals in life personal and professional both i think a lot of things that people don't realize is it's hard to get an mba right you will be making life choices you will be uprooting yourself you will be moving around you will be putting yourself in uncomfortable situations if you are ready to do that please go ahead and do an mba it will definitely help you but just know that it's going to be hard work it's it's not always party your family might only see your instagram posts that you are drinking every night but that's a very small component of the mba program right you have goals to achieve and you will be stressed about those goals if it's taking longer for you to achieve and i think some of the recent immigration challenges make it even more stressful so it limits the opportunity so having good clear goals will really help you navigate that and just remember the first job you get out of your mba is not your career right use that as a stepping stone so don't get fixated that you cannot get at your target job get what you can doing mba program which is loosely aligned to your long term goals and then use that to pivot keep learning keep growing and i think all of these should you know help potential applicants to think through financial component is a big piece of the puzzle which i know a lot of people struggle with getting funding especially in this scenario us interest rates used to be in the low 4 to 8% and i can't even imagine where they are right now because housing interest rates have gone up to more than twice of what they were last year right so when you get an mba it's not just the cost you pay to get your mba but also the cost you forego in not working for 2 years so the total cost of mba is much bigger and that's why i said the sooner you get it the more roi you get yeah no that's a great note to end on and actually that brings me to one other question given what you just shared right let's say if somebody had the choice to go to an m7 program you know as the term is called these days or they could go to let's say something in the top 15 outside of the m7 where let's say they have a scholarship of $50000 or more what do you think that person could think about what could be the considerations they think about how could they go about making that decision it's a very common question if you go to the gmat forums you will find this question written hundreds of times i was in a similar situation i didn't have an m7 admit but i did have admits from duke and ross which i personally rated much higher than anderson and they are they are at least four or five ranks higher but anderson threw in a $90000 scholarship which on a base of $200000 of total expense i thought that was a big amount and it changed my opinion it made me lean very heavily towards that i think it comes down to why you want your mba right for some people the stamp is more important like i need a stamp i need to be approved that i went to a top school if that's your goal the dollars don't matter if you're going for an mba to meet your career objectives to meet financial objectives money plays a big role and the sooner you can be off the loans the better it will be for you in the long term because if you get like a paycheck of $8000 a month and you have to pay $2000 in mortgage and $3000 in tax you're really not left with anything so think through that if i were in that situation again i would again pick the scholarship over an m7 okay that's super helpful thanks for sharing that aditya and it's nice right it allows people to also think about some of those decisions because i think till you actually have to make those payments right you can sort of think about it that oh yeah it's not due imminently so you tend to prioritize the brand very often but this is i think a really valid perspective that you brought up so thanks for that and uh, aditya with that we'll bring the show to a completion i really 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 want to thank you for sharing so much helpful information 
This would be super helpful for prospective applicants and even incoming MBA students. Thanks a lot, Aditya. You're welcome. And good luck to everybody. Thank you.